0: Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and let's talk about a topic that will not only split your church, but is going to split your home. And obviously, today we're talking about divorce. Now, a couple things. First off, thank you for your patience. I know I have not been pumping out videos lately. A lot is going on in my personal life. I have um, jumped into a big community movement thing that I'm, I'm helping out a lot. I'm also stepping down as a lead pastor, so I'm doing a lot of like shifting with my replacement and things like that, because not only do my wife and I have a child on the way, but I decided to go back to school because, you know, why not? Why why keep your plate empty when you just keep filling it up? So I'm going to Trinity College of the Bible and S- Theological Seminary, and that is with Braxton Hunter. We had him on the channel. He's actually the president there. Great school. If you're interested in doing something like far away, at a distance, I think that they're probably the best one you're going to find. So check them out if you're looking to pursue a theological education. But anyway, I am going to back to school and that way I'm going to focus more on my family and focus more on this for a while. And I'm going to help out in churches, be more behind the scenes for a little bit and more the Bible education area, as opposed to the shepherding area. So just so you guys know, I got a lot going on in my life and I have been requested to cover this topic probably more than any other topic. And I know some of you have been waiting, Chris, I appreciate you will be impatient, um, And I've been wanting to, but the biggest thing, the reason why I've avoided this is it is a loaded topic. There's so many parts of the Bible I could jump to and just dig into. And then the cultural context of it it is a loaded, loaded topic. So it's one of those things I decided that would do this the way I'm going to approach, I've approached my alcohol video and other videos, which is I did an, I'm going to do an initial video. And if I choose to revisit the topic to get into more details, I can do that. However, I figured there's no way I could possibly cover everything I wanted to cover in a singular video right now, but I could definitely cover the main parts, the parts that people are most concerned about, and then if you want to get in the nitty-gritty, you can ask your questions in the comments, and then I could do a video later on in response to some of those questions. So anyway, thank you so much for your patience. Uh, one of my biggest concerns about this video is I don't want people to abuse what's being said here. Uh, I was raised in a very different way of thinking toward divorce. I was raised that basically divorce is always bad, and if you get divorced, you can't remarry ever. That was my initial, what I was initially told about divorce. And now over time, uh, of course, when I studied scripture, I realized that that wasn't quite true. But at the same time, I know that some people are always looking for an excuse to divorce their spouse because it's much easier to divorce their spouse than fix the issues at hand. So first and foremost, I do not want you guys to abuse this, and I want you guys to pay very close attention to everything I'm about to say here, and then also what divorce is not constituted as. So. That being said, I just wanted to cover that because divorce is not something to be celebrated. It destroys people's hearts, spirits, it tears souls apart, it tears families apart, and it creates way more harm than good. And however, there are times where it might get complicated and you might have to. And sometimes it might be necessary even, but it doesn't mean it's something to be celebrated and nor is it something that we should be going towards. So remember, God hates divorce. Everything leading up to it and the hurt that it creates afterwards, God hates divorce. Because in the NASB Bible, it says very clearly in Malachi 2.16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and and him who covers his garment with wrong says the Lord of hosts. So, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So, right here it says... Right away, God hates divorce. Now, if you use an English Standard Bible, like I oftentimes resort to, you'll notice that your Malachi 2.16 says something different. And it says, Malachi 2.16, For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be Faithless. So, and right here, uh, if you want to jump into this, we need to understand the fact that there is some differences in the Hebrew on how this works. Now, the original Hebrew says, uh, more to the Hebrew text says, for I or for God hates divorce. Okay. But right here, in um, the other ones, they might try to carry it more contextually or dynamically, which is as for the man who does not love his wife and divorces her covers his garment with violence. In other words, he's basically doing violence against himself and her for just going, you know what, I really just don't like you, go away. (laughs) So to just divorce arbitrarily, God God even compares to violence here. So that's important to note. Also, uh, but here's what's funny is people t- oftentimes want to talk about divorce rates, right? Like, well, you know, the Christian divorce rates are the same as others. You know, one-third of divorces, are, one-third of marriages are going to end in divorce. and Or there's that 50% myth of just this idea that Christians are divorced 50% of the time. Now, here's the thing, that if you just take people who go, well, I'm Christian, then you might be able to get to that bloated number. But the number is bloated because what we need to remember is what about actively professing Christians who are living and walking the walk? Well, according to Glenn T. Stanton, in his the Christian divorce rate myth at crosswalk and in 2012 on March 20th they published this that Christian marriages are act, that are actively living their faith are actually less likely to end in divorce and i can say that as a testament myself i know a lot of people who stayed married who are married and who have been married for 30 20 30 40 years who have stayed married because they actively live their faith they're involved in their local church they're constantly living out their covenant with each other but many people who just simply profess to be Christians aren't actually living it. So anyway, the other thing I wanna talk about is, obviously there's a lot of context I could try to build here. Um, I'm not gonna cover all of that, But if you need information, more information now than before, I'm going to encourage you to go to Bible Thinker on on YouTube. Go check out Pastor Mike Winger. He has a three-hour video covering the basics of divorce. Yeah, that's right. More than what you're going to see here. And then he also has multiple follow-ups where he's answering people's questions. Uh, Then they're hour to hour and a half long videos. So go check him out if you need more information after this video, okay? So anyway, and one of the things, he mentions this as well in those videos, but one thing that is always talked about when we're talking about. The historical context of divorce is the schools of rabbi. There's the, the rabbi school of Hillel, and the rabbi, uh, uh, there's uh, the rabbi, yeah, school of Hillel, and then there's the rabbi Shammai. And these pe- these groups had different views of divorce, and all scholars agree that these are the rabbis that discussed this. These are the groups and their beliefs. So no matter where people land on this, we can all agree historically that these, this were, these were the two major schools of thought about divorce during Jesus's time. So the rabbi school of Hillel argued that a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason, you know, nonchalantly divorce. her, so, like, well, he could just give her a certificate of divorce and be done with her. But the the school of of Shammai, on the other hand, argued that unfaithfulness on the part of the woman was the main basis for divorce. So if she was unfaithful and cheated on him, then that was the basis of divorce. So, and here's the thing, is that the Pharisees did try to ask Jesus this. Now, many people are like, oh, this is him trying to trip them up. The Pharisees kind of get a bad rap more often than they should in scripture. I'm not going to get into the cultural context here, but here's the thing. This was a hotly debated topic in the world of that time. So you had the Hillels versus those of Shammai and they both had different perspectives on what constituted as divorce. So the Pharisees asked Jesus this in Matthew 19 verses 3 through 9. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, "It is lawful to divorce, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" So they're asking, "Hey, are you with the school of Hillel?" essentially. And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So I'm going to stop here real fast. Notice here how he's saying, hey, First, when they asked him, he goes, whoa, hold on, is it not written? He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and he starts building up on the creation thought that God's uh, goal for marriage was always one man with one woman for one life under one God. And that the two shall become one flesh and they should leave and cleave to each other. So before they, he even answers the question, he goes, okay, first off, we need to talk about the fact that God has instituted the fact that these people are to be together and not divorced and that they should stick together. So he rebuilds context there. So he, in other words, he's already pushing against the, Hill, the Hillites' view on this. that You can't just nonchalantly divorce people because, hello, God said this at the very beginning. Anyway, moving on. He says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So, let's build some context here. What does that mean? So, He instantly pushes against the Hillite view, and he kind of more pushes himself with Shammai, right? If there's sexual immorality, then it constitutes a divorce. But however, he goes, it is not, from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, it was never God's intent that divorce should be a thing. However, what people oftentimes do, and what they fell into here, is they read into the fact that if it's in the Mosaic law, therefore, it must be okay. And the thing is, with that is, we have to understand that is ought fallacy. Just because it is in there doesn't mean it ought, it ought to happen. See, there's a things that, for example, the the it talks about, you know, uh, assaulting a pregnant woman. Just because it talks about assaulting a pregnant pregnant woman doesn't mean that it should happen, that it ought to happen. Simply, if it does happen, if it is in there, if this is what's going to happen, that this should be the response. So basically, you know, it's the is ought. Just because there's a case law does not mean that it is completely saying it's okay for that law to happen. We have laws regarding murder and thievery, and we say that if you do these things, X, Y, Z is going to happen. That does not mean that our law is okay with it. Or that, you know, we say that we make a difference between first and second and third degree murder, right? First degree is premeditated and intent. And then second degree is, you know, it happened but without intent. Uh, You know, it wasn't premeditated, I should say. So, with that being said, just because if we go, well, if this happens, then you should do, you should get uh, prosecuted in this sort of way, it does not mean that it's suddenly okay at all cases. So, many people do this when they read the, the Old Testament law. They go, well, see, it's okay with slavery beating slaves here. No, it's saying that if someone does happen to beat a servant, then this is how the response should be. And plus, there's context there with slavery, and I'm not going to get into that today. But the point is here, is that he's pointing out that just because it is doesn't mean it should have been. Just because it's in the Mosaic law doesn't mean that it's God's will that that always happens. There's this is-ought fallacy that people need to take note when they're reading through it. So anyway... Uh, then he also says in Matthew 5, 31 through 32, uh, he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, this is the word pornea, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So what, first, there's something to consider. This is where people go, see, if you marry someone who's divorced, It's adultery. But this is not saying necessarily that. First off, I need to notice the fact that the word here for sexual immorality is porneia. And porneia, you might recognize, reminds you of pornography or porn. That is where we get this word. So. Also, we need to understand there's a difference between divorcing and putting away. A divorce meant there was a certificate of divorce, which meant that you were quite literally free of the marriage. It is no longer a, a thing over your head. You are free to remarry. You are free to do these things. So if you look in these into the c- context here, if you got received a certificate of divorce, it me- meant that you were free of the marriage. However, being put away was a different thing entirely, because to be put away was meant to be, to be such a major dishonor was meant to be, because you disrespected something so terrible that you are now put away, which means you were not free from the marriage, is going to loom over you, but you're not free to remarry, but you're also kicked out. These, these were big differences in the context of ancient Israel and how some of these things worked. So anyway, the idea of the divorce certificate was also to protect the women from being taken advantage of, So, which was to say the fact that he could no longer rule over her or put harm to her, and that's why he even says that, hey, you know, Except for the fact of sexual immorality, then she commits adultery, and it's because of the hardness of the heart. So it's important to note here that it is the hardness of our hearts, is our sinful nature, that has made divorce even a thing in the first place. Because, again, to quote Christ, in the beginning, it was not so. So, anyway. So the idea of the divorce certificate was actually to protect women from being taken uh, taken advantage of by men. It was to release them from his his uh, power, from his care, and to completely make her free of it. And then he also says that it was for sexual immorality, porneia, right? In Leviticus 20, 10 through 11, 10 through 10 through 21, it gives you the full breakdown of what sexual immorality is. It involves um, anything with uh, sexual uh, adultery with another man's wife or with another man's husband. Uh, it also means any type of homosexual relationship. It also means any bestiality, like sex with an animal. It also means her husband uh, her or, her husband had sex maybe with a relative or vice versa, or that her husband no longer wishes to be married to her because of her Christian faith. These are basically the reasons that someone can get a, a divorce. We're going to talk about that last one here in a second. So it's important to under, understand the fact that Jesus makes one, one exception, which is sexual morality. Now granted, this causes some major issues because technically to make to lust after a woman is to commit adultery in your heart, which also means that pornography itself could actually constitute technically under the guise of Sexual morality, which means if someone has a pornography addiction, it's causing such issues in marriage that technically speaking, that person is most likely able, according to Christ, be able to remove themselves from the marriage. And notice this again, be given a certificate of divorce means that they are free of the marriage, which means that they are free to remarry. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 12 through 16, we see Paul builds another exception here. And he goes, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, so he's making an exception. You're going, hey, this is my wisdom here. God didn't give this to me, but I am going to make a clarification here. And that's the thing. When Paul tries to, sorry, I know I just pulled up the verse. Now it's down. But that's the thing. People sometimes, like uh, in progressive Christianity, they try to say, well, Paul was just talking about this context or that context. It wasn't really God saying these things. But we forget the fact that Paul actually clarifies when it is him speaking and not god to him so make that clear. So anyway, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved God has called you to peace how do you know how do you know wife whether you you will save your husband or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife so he makes this clear right here that hey if you get saved and your spouse is not and you are a recent convert stay with them he's saying this is me not the lord saying this but hey how do you not know that if you that you're not your relationship won't get them saved so he's saying be a godly influence in your home So, and I'm just going to say that I would usually consent to follow the apostles' commands. They are wise, obviously. They have direct revelation from God. So, I think that there is some major value here. But also, notice how he does say if the unbelieving partner wants to live as an unbeliever and wants to separate from the Christian, then it says, let it be so in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved to the marriage. In other words, they're free from it. In other words, they are free to remarry. You cannot be enslaved to something yet have that same thing held over your head. That makes no sense. So this idea that I was taught in very fundamentalist Baptist world, and maybe you've been taught this, that if you marry always somebody who is if you marry someone who has been married before, then you're committing adultery because of what Jesus said before when he says, Hey, um, to, uh, it, oh yeah, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. They're taking it out of context here because he just said on the grounds of sexual immorality it makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In other words, someone who, if she was divorced because she committed infidelity in her marriage, and that means he can divorce her. But because she committed the infidelity, if someone married her because she was the one who caused the divorce, then that person isn't the one committing adultery because he's with someone who was wrongfully divorced, okay? who was on the, op- the wrong end of the divorce. So in other words, that he is free from it, but may- not her so much. She is still going to be held accountable to it. That is where this comes from. But people oftentimes misconstrue this idea, hence why we're having this conversation. So anyway, they are free from the marriage if the person chooses to abandon them on the grounds of their faith. So abandonment is also added to this. So if I had just left my wife, she is no longer bound to me because I left her. Therefore, who, you know, there's, this happens all the time where a man or a woman will leave their spouse, and that's abandonment. And we hear these topic, these things happen all the time. If that happens, that person's free from the marriage because it was not them who initiated it. They were abandoned. Now, of course, the inevitable question comes up about physical abuse. Obviously, sexual abuse is included into this. So, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't have a clear-cut verse on this particular topic primarily because to do such a thing in ancient Israel, to batter one's wife, so to speak, would actually be a major issue and could actually be brought forth uh, on some serious punishment grounds because violence toward their family members, beating family members was considered uh, dishonorable and actually would be something that would be demasculating. Like you are, you because your job was to be the guardian and protector and administrator of your home and you are breaking that by acting so violent toward them. So anyway, um, so that's why you don't really see that because it's like, of course, this is almost obvious. So rabbis have also discussed it for eons straight. You can see so many, find so many different writings and different views on this, but basically, and you can look at this in, starting at the seventh century, there's some very strong writings about this, going back and forth to just ruthlessly beat someone would be considered doing a great violence and is unacceptable in ancient Israel. So what does this mean for divorce? Well, first off. We need to understand that cruelty, for the sake of cruelty, was always condemned by the Jewish law, because the Jewish law was actually very merciful, especially when you compare it to some of the laws around it, uh, around the other cultures in the area. But we are to live loving and kind as Christians, because, as after all, Jesus said that we will be known by our fruits. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 very clearly lays out what these fruits are. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in other words, he's going, hey, these things here, there against such there is no law. In other words, these things are fully permissible and ought to be encouraged because the fruit of the Holy Spirit within me, the evidence of it in my life is going to be those things. So if I am a Christian and I am saved by grace and I am imbued with the Holy Spirit, then I will have, I should be ebbing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, all these things. You can't have those things and batter children and beat women. You just can't. They are completely juxtaposed to each other. So someone can't sit there and be beating this woman and say, Well, I still have the Holy Spirit in me. Oh, I beat children. Well, I still have the Holy Spirit in me. Well, no, because you are actually showing the fact that you have none of it. So, We are also told as Christians to live respectfully and honorably. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Beating them is not understanding. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, Treat her with honor and respect. And he says, as the weaker vessel. I know all the feminists start screeching at this part. But bottom line is, women, men have 40% more upper body strength than you. If he chooses to start beating you, uh, you are technically, by science, the weaker vessel. You're not going to usually stand a chance against a man who decides to just start overpowering and beating you. So therefore, we as men, as the stronger vessel, we are commanded to treat you with honor and respect and not to, to oppress you with our, our strength and our overpowering, our overpowering abilities. In fact, Hebrews 5.25, you've heard me quote this before on the channel, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you know what Christ did? He, he died for us. He didn't beat us into submission. So, when we're thinking about this, we need to understand the fact that anything in the Bible that is referring to the position of, a, of, of, spouse, of the spousal office, of the ability to be with somebody lovingly in a marriage, in a covenant with one another, everything about it goes directly against the idea of beating each other, which means to show a Christian marriage means that violence should not exist within it. Because bottom line is you can't honor each other. You can't be respectful of one another. You can't love each other as Christ loved the church and all that. You can't do any of these things if you're attacking her. Also, the Bible makes very clear that we are not to be beating our children ruthlessly and bringing them with wrath and vengeance. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, and that's the thing is many fathers confuse this idea of being a masculine disciplinarian as... I'm going to provoke my child to anger. No, he says, no, no, bring them in dis- discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a certain amount of controlled wisdom there in how you're teaching your child. Now, granted, this is different than physically disciplining your child. Like spanking your child is very different than abusing them. You know, Proverbs 22:15 talks about the rod of correction. So, guys, remember, there is a difference there whether or not you're beating your child senselessly or giving them a corrective spanking. Big difference. Anyway. Also, we need to re- note the fact that violent men are disqualified from church leadership. They're not allowed to. In 1 Timothy chapter three, it makes it very clear that I, as a pastor, am not to be a, a, a violent man, a striker, or a brawler, as it mentions. So, um, be instructed. You know, so here's the thing: we are told, and Paul insists that elder candidates be genuinely born again. Right. So we as Christian leaders ought to be obviously born again, and the fruit ought to be evidenced in our lives. So I need to show the fact that the fruits of the Spirit exist in my life in order for me to lead the church. So that means by various different things that the evidence needs to be showing that I do have my faith and trust in Jesus, I need to reflect his image. And so this means to state the obvious that saved and sanctified men don't abuse wives, right? or children, if you're truly saved by the grace of Christ, then you don't abuse your wives. Therefore, physical abuse is a sin and always has been a sin. And it disqualifies a person from not just church leadership, but it also disqualifies a person from being a lawful citizen, because we know that this is actually breaking the law. And in Romans 13, we know that the authorities are given to enforce the law. So if you are being abused, you need to call the police and enforce the law. It is not okay. This idea of a woman submitting to her husband even if she's being abused is absurd because she is first called to honor God in all things and she can't do... and. She's supposed to follow him. And if you are completely disqualifying your office as a man, I I know I say man here a lot, I know women can abuse men too, but just saying I definitely know men have been physically abusive in the past, so I'm making sure I mention this strongly here. But we should also, so we should make sure that this is something that is not dealt with. Now, this is where things get complicated as to how divorce works in an abusive situation. So if you've been taught that if a woman is abused, she ought to just leave her husband but not divorce him, I'm going to actually say, I'm going to push back on that. I'm going to say that she is actually able to divorce her husband and here's why. Now bear with me, this is where things get complicated where we need to refer to all the morals that we've talked about before. First off, we know that even to commit sexual immorality in your marriage constitutes a divorce. We also know that abandonment or somebody wanting to throw you out simply because of your faith means that you are able to divorce. Now, what about... Now, abuse, physical abuse, seems like it's right on par with abandonment, right? These seems like they're pretty logical abuse situations. Now, here's the thing. If he is abusing her, or if he, she is abusing him, this person is clearly showing that they have zero fruits of the Spirit because they are not exemplifying any of them. And the fruits of the Spirit is how we can confirm. It's how we can know that someone is truly Christian. It's how we affirm their profession of faith. is simply by their fruits. So, she should... So, this means that not only should the police be called, but this person needs to be brought before the church. The abuser needs to be brought before the church. Uh, Matthew 18 ought to be very much followed here. Obviously, the person being abused should be telling them, don't abuse me. And obviously, witnesses should come and correct this individual, and if they do not change and repent, it ought to be brought before the church. And what does it say if they're unrepentant? They ought to be excommunicated, they ought to be kicked out, they ought to be treated like a publican, also known as an unbelieving politician. So Matthew 18 makes clear that if a person is unrepentant, they are to be considered this this politician, a corrupt unbeliever, if you will, which means that the church would not be able to bear witness of any fruits either, right? Which means they could no longer affirm his belief. Which means he would no longer be considered by the church a believer. This person clearly isn't exemplifying it in his spirit. So this means that she or he would fall into what Paul stated previously about being married with someone who is not a believer. I know these are strong statements here. These are strong words because people are uncomfortable with the fact that me saying that if you are beating somebody and are unrepentant of a violent attack, then you are not a believer. People go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not okay. You can't do that. Well, I encourage you to watch my "Can a Christian judge video. Is it, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. Check out that video. We are commanded to judge righteously. So I am commanded to go, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. These are the evidence of the spirit. These are the evidences of the flesh. And if you read the evidence, Evidences of the flesh: a, a wife abuser, a husband abuser, a child abuser goes under that of the flesh and not of the spirit, which means the church has to condemn such fleshly behavior, such horrible behavior. This means that she would fall unto being married with an unbeliever, and if he is an unbeliever and therefore despises the faith. And therefore, by showing violence, um, she is actually would be able to divorce. If you just make these connections, see. And I feel like that's the thing. The Bible makes the Bible might not get into every little detail, but he it leaves enough there for you to be able to make easy conclusions. Go, okay. Well, these are the evidences of the spirit. These are the evidences of the flesh. She's with somebody who's clearly showing her the evidences of the flesh by physically harming her and bringing her children to harm. Then she is she is morally obligated. To get out of there for the protection of her children because parents are called to protect their child or to protect, you know, not, not, they, we are told to love each other as we love ourselves. And therefore, if she wouldn't want somebody to be in an abusive situation, she needs to remove herself from the abusive situation or himself from the abusive situation. That way, all things can stand in balance with each other because you cannot expect somebody to constantly be getting their, you know, their butt handed to them by their spouse just under some a weird guise of that God hates divorce, therefore you shouldn't do it. Of course, God hates divorce, but God also hates abuse. He hates reckless violence. He hates these things equally too. So, we should not be sitting there holding these things in in some sort of weird tension with each other. So notice also the language that Paul said, they would be free from the marriage. So if she leaves or he leaves due to abuse, then therefore they would be free of the marriage because that person has outright abandoned their marital covenant. You know, people are going to make mistakes. And that's why I'm saying do not abuse what I'm saying in this video. Because people are going to make mistakes. That does not mean that suddenly they are always showing the spirit of the flesh because repentance is in their Mistakes happen, but somebody who is living in that way, living abusively, is clearly not living in the spirit. So there's a difference there of simply falling and making a mistake versus somebody who is indulging the spirit, or indulging the flesh. Now, of course, the next question that usually gets brought up is Deuteronomy 24. What about that? Right. This is a weird, weird chap, a weird chapter, a weird passage. It says this, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, she's really having a hard time, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away in the first place, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. That's a weird passage. Now, I can't stress this enough. I cannot get into all the context here today. I've mentioned this, this book on this channel before. Please read this book here. Is God a moral monster? This book will clarify and get into the nitty-gritty of all these things, and eventually I will too. But just for the sake of time, I'm going to move forward. So here, he's talk about some sort of indecency in her. This is referring to, obviously, some sort of immoral thing. And she goes marry somebody else. She, He's basically not able to remarry her. Okay? No matter what. He's not able to remarry her. If he divorces her in the first place, he sends her away. The man in Israel is not able to remarry her. Now again, I can't stress this enough. Remember the is fallacy, the case law thing. If this happens, this is the law to that. Just because it's saying, if this happens, does not mean that God is saying, it's okay for this to always happen. He's just simply saying, if this situation arises, because a lot of weird situations can happen, this is how you should move forward. Again, because Jesus referred back to, it does not say that it should be one man with one woman for one life. They should leave and cleave to each other. So again, reiterating that here. Remember, that's the original context, but we, in our heart and hearts, have created Complicated scenarios that God had to create laws for. So, or that God had laws for in the beginning. Whatever, you get my point. So, first off, this, why, why wasn't he able to remarry? Well, first off, this is to prevent the bride price from being paid multiple times, okay? So, sh- it showed a serious, because the bride price was paid by the groom's family, essentially, toward the, the wise family going, hey, they we're showing a serious commitment here to take care of your daughter, and as she, she returned, then multiple bride prices would be being paid to the same person. And this would be considered dishonorable and an abomination and taking advantage of someone's family. Also, this prevents the man from simply taking advantage of her because she has nowhere else to go for her to be like, oh my goodness, this just happened. Instead of returning to her family, that he w- she would return to the man who originally put her away to begin with. This is to actually protect the woman from being taken advantage of, Okay. So, people need to understand the fact when they're reading this, like, this sounds super misogynistic, is, is, no, (laughs) this is directly intended to protect her, and this is directly intended to protect the man, as well, from being taken advantage of. So, basically, he's saying, hey, and then he says, hey, do not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So, in other words, don't bring all that baggage back into your home. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Stay separate. You are free from the marriage, and you're not allowed to return. That was what he was saying in ancient Israel. So, anyway um so let's go through some disclaimers real fast so if you're here in this video trying to find an excuse to divorce or you still are badly wanting um to abuse what is being said here you're here for the wrong reasons if you're here like oh my goodness i cannot okay please tell me that if he's irritating or he's a little or he's um not as responsible as finances or you know he works so many hours that I can find a reason to divorce him here. If you are just outright seeking a reason to divorce, you're in it for the wrong reasons. You're looking at the wrong things. So instead of going, oh my goodness, how can I divorce him? Try to figure out a way, maybe, or man, how can I find a way to divorce her? Maybe you should try to find a way to encourage your spouse. Maybe find a way to bring you all together and not apart. Also, remember that divorce is always the last resort and it is not something that's to be celebrated. Do not abuse what is being said in this video or in other videos like it. Do not just be searching for an excuse. Because bottom line is someone being annoying is not a reason for divorce. Being bored of the person is not a reason for divorce. They've them gaining weight over time is not a reason for divorce. Them not being as young, as hot as they used to be is not a reason for divorce. Finances is not a reason for divorce. Most reasons for divorce are straight up bad and unbiblical. This whole idea of, oh, I I just don't feel the same about them before as I used to. Yeah, you're not supposed to. If you feel the same way, that your marriage hasn't matured or changed at all over years, then you're doing it wrong. Your marriage will change. Your relationship will change. But it doesn't mean that you should not stay married. Also, most people divorce for reasons that could actually be fixed as long as perspectives were put in check and biblical roles in marriage were followed. So if you are struggling through a divorce, maybe you should seek counseling. And maybe you guys should truly look into it. And there's nothing humiliating about going to counseling. It's okay to get your issues worked out. Because guess what? You're not as smart as you think you are. And your spouse isn't as smart as they think they are. You guys might need divorce. uh, Not divorce. You guys might need counseling, okay? You might really actually truly deeply need some counseling because you guys can't figure out why you're broken, I can tell you one thing: you should start off by what the Bible says you as a wife should do or you as a husband should do that'll greatly help you. Uh, I encourage you to watch my gender roles video for more information there. Sadly, many people marry for the wrong reasons as well. People get married to get out of the house oh, i can 't wait to leave my parents. they drive me crazy. I just want to get married. Some people uh, marry just because they 're horny let 's call it what it is. they want to have sex, so they marry for the wrong reasons. Some people marry because you know for practical reasons of um you know, financial, things like that. Now, there are times where in ancient Israel, that did, that did take place. But you ought to be married for the right reasons. You are committing into a holy covenant with a person under God. So marry for the right reasons. Marry because you truly love the person and are committed to that person. Not because you simply are in a fad or you you just got some feelings for the person right now. No. Um, marriage is a choice. One friend asked me before I married Mary, married Callie. They went, hey, Will, when Callie gets old, you know, she might gain weight. She might not be as attractive as before. Uh, maybe she changes in personality. Why is it that you'll stay married to her? And I was like, because mm, I love her? Mm. And uh, he said, yes, but why? And I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like, because you choose to. Marry, you know, Love isn't always a feeling. Love is oftentimes a choice as well. And I think that struck me powerfully because I was like, yes, sometimes love is a choice. Because sometimes things get difficult and you must choose to love them through it, even when they're not very lovable. So don't be trying to abuse this video. Don't be trying to go take these teachings and try to twist them in any way to be able to fit your narrative. Bottom line is divorce ought to be a very rare thing. And it ought to be something that we ought to be disciplined enough not to fall into. But sadly, many people do marry for the wrong reasons or with far too high of expectations on their spouse as well. This results in divorce. Some people hold their spouse thinking that they're holding up here to these unbelievable standards that no one would ever live up to. We forget that our spouse is human too and isn't a workhorse and they can't read your mind and they can't figure out everything that's going to please you and satisfy you. So don't hold these people up to unreasonable expectations. Just simply hold them to God's expectations. And instead of beating them over the head and nagging them and yelling at them and discrediting them and disparaging them and putting them down and being frustrated and bottling all this up, Maybe you should encourage each other. Be open with each other with communication. Talk to each other. If you feel discredited, sit down and go, you know, this really made me feel this way. And you ought to be receptive if that person sits down and talks to you. Even if you feel like they've wronged you more than you've wronged them. You ought to be able to, to sit down and have those conversations. Because how can you love one another if you don't communicate with one another? And you ought to be okay with those communications. Those communications aren't a personal attack. They're simply someone expressing to you, where they're at in the moment and really the only person you really need to care about whose feelings you care about the feelings you care about the most ought to be your spouse your spouse needs to be number one priority not your children not your church not your sister not your brother not your parents not your best friend your spouse's feelings need to come first and a lot of people tend to forget that so anyhow I hope this video was helpful for some of you. I hope this helped answer some of your biggest questions. And if you have other questions, please shoot them in the comments below. I would love to make follow-up videos on some of these complex topics. Uh, and if you have any of those, please answer ask the questions. I will do my best to answer them in the comments or doing a video on them. Uh, thank you guys again, guys. If you would if you would consider please like and subscribe to the channel. Hit share. Please share this channel. We are growing pretty rapidly, but we need more growth. And you know if 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 you guys would consider even buying me a coffee, if you find any of these things helpful or useful, and you would consider even buying me or Brian a coffee for the work we do, um, please consider maybe being a Patreon. I don't have anything special on there for Patreons, um, but honestly, as someone who's trying to shift into full-time ministry and would love to be able to spend more time in God's Word and teaching people like this, um, I think that would be majorly beneficial and be a huge blessing. I would greatly appreciate it. So anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into The Church Split. If you could, um, just go ahead, like, and subscribe. But thank you all for being here. God bless. Take care.